short change Grobelar and Tony Kelly has equalised. The substitute draws it level. Just two minutes to go. It's a dream ticket for those Stoke City fans. A dream substitution for Lou Macari and Stoke City. Right through the goalkeeper's legs. So without any further ado, um, kings and queens, beautiful souls, um, I have a fantastic guest for you. Um, his name is Mr. Tony Kelly. He is an ex-footballer. He's an after-dog. He's an ex-football ex-footballer um, turned CEO, and he's an amazing soul. And he's here with me today. And without any further ado, Mr. Tony Kelly, welcome to the Money Speak Show. I'm so honoured, so happy to have you on the show. Good afternoon, Imani. Yeah, good to be here. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I have questions for you, but before we go there, please, can you just share a little bit about your background? Yes, the background is uh, predominantly mainly it's a football background. So growing up in Coventry, I um, had the dream of wanting to be a professional footballer, like thousands of kids. So I left school at 16 and went to Bristol City as an apprentice, which these days is called scholarship. So that's my journey starting on the road of trying to become a professional footballer. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately for me, I did not get a professional contract at 18, which is the standard route. 16 uh, to 18 is a two-year scholarship. Um, I got released at 17 because I was a little bit wild, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I um, unfortunately got released at 17. Went back to uh, Coventry to my family where I grew up. And it's a question of re-evaluating and thinking what to do next. Uh, there wasn't a lot of work going on in Coventry, so my sister moved to London and I decided to follow her and um, basically start a new life in London and then uh, moved to London at 18, uh, signed for Dulwich Hamlet Football Club, which is a semi-professional football club. Um, and that was, I suppose, me trying to start out again and trying to get um, noticed within the football world and hopefully get scouted and, and get a professional contract um, you know, through that avenue. So that's when the... Uh, yeah, the, fo the football career continued um, up to 22, which is when I was fortunately signed uh, by second division Stoke City. Uh, so I did get my second chance in the end of becoming a professional footballer, which was um, in 1990. Mm. Wow. Yes, uh, having, having a second chance is, was massive for me because obviously um, I'm now in the big world. So I was, I was a postman at the time. Um, and then all of a sudden I've been thrown into this limelight of professional football um obviously you know and what comes with it all the glamour and money etc so i moved to stoke-on-trent um bought a house in stoke and settled down on a three-year contract with stoke city and uh yeah it was um it was a dream come true basically it's a dream come true to actually be playing professional football when, you know, at the age of 22 when i thought my chance had gone um and then obviously um throughout the football career a lot of other issues uh, which we'll talk about um you know, crept in um, but yeah, the 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 back the backstory is professional football, um, and that's where um, I suppose that's where the highlights of my career are. Yeah. And you know what I would say to you that must have been an amazing experience to be so young and living your dream because not many people, you know, get to live their dream at that tender age as you did. What was that like? What was that like to know that you're living it at that you know really young age? Yeah, I think at first when I um, I remember going down to Stoke City Football Club to talk 
to the board and the management about contracts. Uh, obviously, I'm not being a professional before, I wasn't sort of um, fully aware of, you know, what I could ask for and, and the trimmings and things like uh, signing on fees. So I did get some advice before I went up there um, in terms of what the going rate was for second division footballer. Um, and it was quite mind-boggling. Then we're talking 1990, which is 31, 30 years ago. Um, I think it was about... Wow. <laughs> I think it was about six, seven hundred pound. I think, and I've got, I've got ten thousand uh, pound signing on fee, which is, I don't know what, I don't know what that's worth these days, but, but <laughs> back then it was a lot of money. Um, just to put it in perspective, my house cost um, forty-seven thousand pound. It was a lovely house with a garage and driveway and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I was. Um, so that was. It was an amazing feeling, yeah, amazing feeling. Family were proud. My missus was well happy because obviously she she realised I've got my dream. Um, oh. Yeah, so it took it took a bit of time to you know to get used to the professional football world, the the, the banter and the camaraderie in the dressing room, um, the pressure of going out and playing in front of a you know that that time. I think our average gate was about eighteen thousand. So playing in front of thousands of people was another thing I had to get used to. Because uh, it was, you know, it was quite nerve-wracking to be fair when I first started. Uh, but that, that, you know, over over a period of time, once you've established yourself and you get a rapport with the supporters and all that, then yeah, you get used to that. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a very glam glamorous lifestyle, professional footballers, as many people know. Mm. Wow! And you got to live it because you had the talent, the abilities, and um, yeah. It's yeah, I think I think I've done that. I've done that. I think the talent, yes, but I think for me, there's lots of young players that get released at 16, 17, 18 from pro clubs and go on the streets and get up to no good and not, and don't really follow the dream. I think for me, it was it was the persistence and desire from having a knockback to being being able to you know stay resilient and and, and believe that I'll still get a second chance. And I think that that's um, well, I think that's what I'm more proud of the fact that I stuck at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, I also want to quickly talk about the golden score that you did. What was that like for you? Right. To get on, that highlight, you know? Yeah. Well, on that, because we are obviously in a in a in a in a Zoom meeting, I, I can can we pause for twenty seconds? I've got to turn the oven off. Okay, go on then. I will yes, of course. <laughs> we'll just keep it running. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'm talking to my fantastic guest. His name is Mr. Tony Keller. Kelly, he is an ex-footballer turned CEO of Red Card. He's written a book of the same name, Red Card. And um, we're honoured and blessed to have him here um, speaking to us um, about, you know, his, his, he was able to live his dream at a very young age. And he's now running an amazing business, which we're going to talk about in a little while. Um, but we're just really just introducing him and just letting you know the backstory behind the man who was able to kind of um, have, you know, two amazing careers. And um, we're going to really look today at um, where he's going with his business, who he's helping, you know, who uses his service and, you know, um, what he sees, where he sees the business going in the future. Um, so yeah, and I'm Imani Speaks, and um, I don't do this very often, but I'm so honoured to be here with Mr. Tony Kelly, who is back with us in, just in time. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so you're going to tell us about that score and 
what uh, it felt like yeah you know it must have been amazing it's amazing to see it in action yeah there's lots of uh various highlights of professional football have had during their career i think that's probably alongside playing at wembley is probably um the highlight of my football career yeah anfield the iconic anfield liverpool and um yeah it was a night to remember all my family were there it was um televised so i do have the copy of the actual um football show that was on during the week on itv where we showed the match so i've got a copy of that which the club kindly sent me but it was an, an amazing night in terms of scoring in the last minute all the drama 7,000 Stoke City fans yeah so um, it's something that I suppose I'll never forget and it's, just, it's a treasured memory that yeah scoring a goal at Anfield against Liverpool yeah wow fantastic um, but you know you've done amazing with your football career but you've now got a new career where you are CEO of a company called Red Card you have a book of the same name can you talk to us a little bit about why you started this fantastic company yeah, I think it's um, it's something that I never envisaged, really. It's uh, something that, I suppose, six years ago, I, I wouldn't have thought I'd be doing this today. Um, but it all stemmed, really, from my recovery from gambling addiction, which obviously had a massive impact on my life. Um, and then, basically, I think putting my story to print, writing the book Red Card, which came out in 2015. So I go out and buy the book. It's on Amazon and Boardstones. Uh, so, so when I... When I, <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, think I, was, I need to get the book as well. Yes. Yeah, the book. Um, I think from that moment onwards, um, it was a question of. Um, I think the feedback I got from the book, um, you know, through the media and, and other other areas, made me realise that there's there's more to be done. Made me realise that this has touched a lot of people and resonates with a lot of people. Um, so I thought, okay, what what else can we do apart from raising awareness uh, through my story? So that's when I decided that um, to set up Red Card Gambling Sport Project. Um, again, I don't come from a business background, so you have to learn <clears throat> all the um, all the all the things that come with setting up an organisation, such as governance, um, getting a team together, accounting, website, all the rest of it. You know, policies. So I learned along the, along the way, had some good support, got a good team together, and uh, Red Card Gambling Sport Project was born in 2015, um, and we are. We're all about education, awareness and prevention of, of gambling addiction. That's, that's what we stand for. Um, we've done a lot of work in the community. We've done lots of work with various organisations, including schools and colleges. And it's something I'm passionate about. And it's, um, yeah, at the moment it's, it's going well. It takes time to grow a business. And I think over a period of time, we've got to a, a decent place now. Still a lot more to do. Um, but yeah, it's amazing that, um, as I said earlier, that is, you know, six years ago I would never thought that I would be heading up an organization and um, you know delivering education awareness um, workshops etc but that's what I'm doing today with the, with the team. Oh, wow and I know you work primarily with young people um, and I know one of the things you say is that to catch this very in the early stages is really important um, what is it like working with these young people and I don't think people realize that there is such a thing as um, you know, young people have gambling issues on, on a big level, as you're able to tell us. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how important it is for people to kind of be aware, you know, of their own children, what might be happening? Yeah, I think um, the whole gambling industry, uh, gambling in general has changed over the last 30 years. 
So back in my day, it was all about the bookmakers and casinos. Uh, obviously, there was no gambling apps and obviously there was no advertising or promotion of gambling. There was no online gambling. So there's been a massive shift in terms of how people gamble. Um, and I think that's, that's where the young people come in because years ago, you wouldn't get 18-year-olds in a bookmakers. Um, it was predominantly middle-aged you know, men. Um, and also no women in there either uh, yeah the times have changed um so women frequent the bookmakers and obviously with online gambling now you've got everybody and anybody gambling uh, but it's it's very um dangerous for young people uh, because lots of different reasons really you know young people can gamble for different reasons uh, whether it's escapism whether it's through trauma uh, whether it's uh, peer pressure to fit in uh, whether it's you know to get through uh, poverty and, and enhance their life because obviously the financial climate of, of the UK is, is uh, not very good for young people. So they think that gambling may be a way um, of earning money. Uh, and obviously accessibility is there for them so they can gamble 24-7 in their bedroom under the nose of their parents, which is, which is probably the most worrying thing um, because obviously par parents, we, we, we talk about people having um, a role to play um, and parents have a big role to play in terms of monitoring their children and whether they're, whether they're gambling online on a gambling app or whether they're doing virtual gaming, i.e. FIFA or, or, or um, Fortnite or other games. So it's all related. So, yeah, it's, it's very important for young people that they, um, you know, they become aware of what can happen if you get involved with gambling and if it starts to consume you and, it, and if it starts to become a compulsion. So that's the danger. You know, we can all... Anybody can have a bet and um, you know, may, may have no effects and may, may not come to any gambling harm. And that's proven with thousands of people in the UK that do do that. But then, then you've got the other side of it with those that unfortunately uh, do encounter harm. And that's approximately half a million people in the UK at the moment. So the figures are there, the stats are there, it's all out there. So it's, um, it's there for people to see. It's just a matter of um, continue to raise awareness about it. Mr. Tony Kenny, what are the signs? If a parent is concerned, what are they looking for in their child? You know, to I think there's a few things. I think one of the things um, they say that well, what gambling does it is apart from taking your money, it takes time. It takes your time. Um, so your time could be spent hours on end on on a gambling app. Um, so if your son or daughter is continuous on the laptop or or the iPad or whatever it is. Um, but for a long period of time, continuously, daily, uh, then you've got to be wondering, you know, and, and make sure that they are, are doing what they say they're doing and not um, on a gambling site. Um, then you've got the uh, behavioural patterns, whether that's um, change of moods, mood swings, character changing, uh, aggressiveness. And then you've got the financial aspect. So you might, you might you'll give your child, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 pound, whatever it is, um, a week or pocket money, whatever. And if, if that child continues to uh, come to you on a daily basis asking for money, then, then you've got to start asking the questions, well, I gave you 20 pound yesterday, where's it gone? You know, so these, lit these little warning signs you've got to look out for. Uh, and they may come home with brand new trainers that, that you know they can't afford. Where's, oh, the, where's, yes. the, where's the money come from? Um, so all these little things that there's, there's lots of different things that parents and, and, and not just parents, but obviously in, in the workplace as well, that, that people can look out for in terms of um, warning signs and triggers. Because I always say that uh, people in a position of authority um, can intervene. You know, they've just got mm -hmm. to, it, may, it might be a question of, especially in the workplace, if someone's 
become um, isolated or withdrawn. Uh, and you can see that there, there might be a problem or their performance levels dropped. If it's someone at school, they're not turning up to school, playing truancy, or their, or their performance levels drop at school or university. All these things, you know, it just takes that person who's in, who's in a, that position of authority, uh, whether it's a parent, whether it's a teacher, to ask the question. And that's all it is. It's just asking a question because you just don't know. You, you, that person may open up. Uh, so it is really important that you're not afraid to ask the question. Wow. And what age groups, what age groups are we talking about? Are we talking about teenage or younger or? Yeah, strange enough, which might surprise a lot of people. <clears throat> we actually educate from, from 11 years old, mm. um, which is the first year of secondary school. Now, some people all automatically will think, why 11 when you're not allowed to gamble till you're 18? And the reason for that is because 11 year olds upwards, probably 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds, their, I suppose, um, their buzz is, is not gambling per se, and it is not mainstream gambling, because as, as I just said, you're not allowed to gamble till you're 18. But there is, a, there is obviously a lot, and it's a multi-million pound industry, the gaming industry. Now the gaming industry, um, has games, many, lots of different games what kids play. And the, the, probably the two most common games are Fortnite and FIFA. Now these games are, although they're not officially uh, ranked as gambling within the Gambling Commission, uh, they're gaming, but you do at some point during these games, you're, you're, you get to a position within these games where you can start trading, whether that's trading players uh, in the FIFA game or whether it's trading, trading or buying a loot box or trading weapons in, in Fortnite. Uh, and, you, and you actually pay to trade um, so you can enhance your game and you can enhance your weapons or you can enhance your team with better players but obviously you know the top players you you'll play against different people across the across the world uh, and you, you'll have to trade with a debit card and buy products and that's where the gambling element comes in because you're paying for something for a reward so we always say in terms of uh, it doesn't have to be monetary it can be something of value um, so it's a form of gambling that that is starting to be recognized and that can familiarize itself with with young people in terms of you know spending money doing that transaction feeling that buzz uh, and then as they get older you know it might manifest itself and, and they go on to mainstream gambling so that's why we educate from to young age wow you know i don't think most people i didn't realize that this was going on and i don't think most people no. Exactly. I think that's the thing. That's why we, that's why awareness is so important because there's thousands of people have no idea about about how um, how gaming is. Um, there's also the issues of young people that because of the regulations of the online gambling sites. There's many that are unregulated, which are basically offshore in another country like Gibraltar. And these these gambling sites will, will target young people. They're um, their regulations won't be robust, so which means that a young child, which, which and it's proven because the stats are out there in terms of kids uh, using their parents' uh, debit cards to gamble with, uh, so they will open an account with one of these online, um, and then before you know, the parents will will uh, find out the next week that their account's been ten thousand pound down because their their child their child's been using a debit card, and that's because the restrictions and regulations are not strong enough, and there's some dodgy, um, unregulated. Uh, online gambling sites that a lot of young people will, will go to if, if, if they can't uh, open an account with a with a with a um, mainstream uh, operator so yeah 
it's very um it's very dangerous for young people um and then the more we, we we're working with an organization called ncs which is national children's service they're, they're predominantly all about young people 15 to 18 and um we found with them they're, they're working with us on a project in terms of raising awareness for young people and um yeah it's, it's amazing how much young people don't really uh, fully understand the extent and the impact of, of, of gambling or what it can do uh, in terms of when i say that in terms of all the other issues that come with gambling not not just the monetary side but all the other things that come with gambling uh, which we can, we can talk about in a bit yeah there's because there's so many wow wow it just blows your mind doesn't it 11 mm. years old and mm. oh i'm like wow but yeah. you know um what i'd ask you because i know you are going to talk to you about your book as well because i know the book you know that's another thing you're not depends, depends which one <laughs> yes because you've got a second book <laughs> yeah. that we're yeah, going to yeah. talk about yeah. as well so yeah, no yeah. yeah but um as you were saying you know so is it behind, I know when we talked last time, you mentioned dopamine, you know, it's like a rush and, you know, what causes um, some people to be addicted to that? Um, and is there something, is there an underlying thing going on as well? Is there maybe something else going on, some unhappiness or something, some emotional thing? Yeah. Or is, it just a, is this just how they're wired? Yeah, we, we, um, we have a, a, one of our therapists that talk, um you know quite in depth about the science of addiction um and i think that's that there's different theories out there from 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 various uh, counselors or therapists or psychotherapists about why some people get addicted to gambling um and why some people don't but addiction in general you know whether it's gambling whether it's anything else um can stem from different different um experiences so that they they say for instance with gambling addiction it can be if it's through the family so you, you you've heard of um you know drug addicts their parents might have been drug addicts or alcoholics their parents might have been alcoholics and so there's that there's that genetic side to look at um and, and then you've got the trauma side of things so young people that have suffered trauma uh, through their childhood uh, whether whether it's losing a parent or, or anything else uh, that can have an effect in terms of them finding finding something to escape to gambling can be can be used as a vehicle for escapism so that's another reason and then we talk about the uh the brain in terms of how young people's brains um are you know we're not we're not developed until probably 24 25 on average is when we're, we're our brains are, are developed which means that as a 15 16 year old you you're obviously not in a position where you can make informed decisions um about about gambling so you're you're more uh, vulnerable and you're more vulnerable to taking risks which young people are uh, so there's all these different reasons why some people start gambling and the, the dopamine thing is something that obviously is a chemical that's produced from the brain which will you know basically uh, operate your reward centers and and so when it comes to when it comes to actual gambling uh, and, you, and you see people going back and back and back to the bookies or uh, continuous spending on on their phone or whatever, and they can't they can't stop. Um, it's just it just means that that rush of dopamine uh, that they they are in their minds that as far as they're concerned that their looks going to change. Um, they can't stop. It's a continuous um, it's a continuous and compulsion activity that they're doing. And as far as they're concerned, I know we call it chasing your losses, but it's 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 something that they can't stop doing. Um, 
and that's and that's where that's where we talk about different stages of addiction so we have you know use um misuse abuse and dependency so when we get to the dependency that's when you're in trouble because uh, that's yeah. when every every single day you will depend on it and um you have to have a bet every day the first thing you think about in the morning is having a bet last thing at night so once you start once you depend on it uh, then you've got a real a real problem so yeah it's quite complex the um science of addiction and uh yeah, you should come to one of our workshops. We'll talk about the one that's coming up in the future, which where one of our therapists will be talking about mindfulness and, and the science of addiction and, and how we're wired up differently and how the brain works. Yeah, because it's quite complex. Mr. Tony Kenny, um, yes. you know, thank you for that answer. Um, I want to talk to you about you, because you mentioned the psychotherapists and, and the scientists there. But you are also known now as an expert by experience and you've been awarded can you tell us about that? What's, you know, what that is? Yeah. Uh, so back in November, we, um, there, was a, there was a launch by the Gambling Commission. And what they wanted to do, they wanted to launch um, a new strategy. They call it the new strategy for reducing gambling harm. Mm -hmm. 2020, all, all set up by the Gambling Commission. Um, so those who don't know, the Gambling Commission are the ones that regulate gambling in the UK. So they wanted to do something to help uh, and... Uh, to change regulation and different things so they they um sent emails or yeah emails uh, to I don't, know, I don't know how many people must have been over 100 uh, people with lived experience because they wanted to involve in this new strategy they wanted to involve people with lived experience so we all got an email we all got invited to a launch in november last year down in london um and it was really it was a really good launch it set out um the plans for the future for this new strategy um, and from that meeting, from that launch, they um, reduced it down to a team of approximately 14, mm -hmm. 14 people with lived experience. Unfortunately, I was uh, picked as one of the one of the people to uh, to be in this group. Um, and then, obviously, from that moment, from November up to this this uh, this month, um, the, the interim group was officially formed in May. Uh, so there is now an official uh ebe interim panel which i'm part of so there's 14 of us and what happens every month we have two meetings a month with the gambling commission and in that meeting our role is to give recommendations to the gambling commission about how we can uh, make gambling safer so there's lots of different issues that like affordability checks uh, we, we look we talk about there's a thing called hvc which is high value customers where casinos and bookmakers will shower people with gifts and incentives to keep them gambling so we're mm. trying to get that banned there's the advertising promotion we're trying to get that uh, reduced and the messaging content we're trying to improve in terms of what comes on your tv screens so there's lots of different consultations that we have with them to discuss how can we make gamblers safer uh, and how can we make regulations uh, more robust so it's really interesting uh, because it's lots of you know it's, it's getting to know the gambling commission and how they work um, what they should be doing or, or what they're not doing correctly. Uh, so yeah, it's a really good insight into how the whole gambling industry works. So yeah, we uh, we are employed. We got um, employed uh, in May as well. So that became official in terms of a contract. So all of us are on a contract with the gambling commission where we are actually we actually get paid, which is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, and then in January 2021 they will form um, what they will call then the same group, but a permanent group, 
which I think is for three years, working alongside the Gambling Commission and the DCMS, which is Department for Media, Culture, Sport. Um, and hopefully I'll be part of the permanent group. But it may be a case of, of that. I may not have the time to be part of the permanent group. So I'll, I'll look at that in January, um, depending on the, on the red card situation. Um, yeah, so we'll see. But it's a great experience. We have another meeting in September the 2nd, our next topic. And uh, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a really good insight into um, how the gambling industry works and, uh, and and also how the operators work in terms of, when I say operators, the operators are Willie Mills and the Labbrooks of this world uh, and how and how they work and, uh, and the big fines that they get in terms of sanctions that they get from the Gambling Commission if they're not uh, protecting people gambling online. Um, so an example of that would be if someone's gambling online and they're spending three, four hundred pounds every night, uh, we, we have a thing called customer interaction, which is which is basically what the what the operators are meant to do. They're meant to interact with that customer and they're meant to send them a message and say, is everything okay, you know, uh, take a break or whatever. But be, because they don't follow these guidelines, which which are set out by the Gambling Commission, and it's part of their licenses, so they, they're supposed to be following those guidelines, what happens then is that um, they will then get a huge fine from the Gambling Commission uh, because they've breached their license code. Yeah of practice and when we say huge farm we're talking two three million pound um but because the operators make you know make so much money you know we've sort of realized that you know a million pound fine is like a drop in the ocean to them so yeah so we have to make the regulations more robust yeah so yeah really interesting wow. i mean that must be delightful for you to be part of this mm. you know to be able to kind of have some say what happened. yeah 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 i think that's the important bit when we talk as a group we talk about um, the fact that they wanted to involve people with lived experience um, and it's good that we can have an input uh, and we will have an input into any um, legislation changes that may happen in the next six months to a year. You know, the EBE group will be part of those consultations and we will have, our voices will be heard. Yeah. Right. Um, thank you for that, Mr. Tony Kelly. So, as we said earlier on about your book, you've actually got Red Card, the book, yeah. that you started but you're also writing another book so yes. have you got those can you show us what you yeah, yeah? so the, the the this book obviously is still on um um can you see that clearly card. yes very clearly yes yeah, so that's red card which is out on amazon and waterstones that's the that's the back of the book which gives you details about oh, the yeah. story um and then i have a I haven't got the obviously the next book is in process so it's with the publishers being um obviously produced and edited etc so we're looking at january as a as a publication date um and that book is called i bet you can win um and yeah so i'm looking forward to um wow doing, doing lots of work with that when it eventually comes to uh, towards a um, publication date yeah do some uh, media stuff yeah so the first book was mostly about your you know your the first part of your life but this is more about yeah. what you're doing now can you yeah. give us a little bit of insight into what that's a great title as well both of them but yeah uh, yeah uh yeah i bet you can win i think that came from one of our little logos from the from the first book um and yeah the first book it ends obviously when red card was being talked about red card gambling sport project that is where we, we, the book ends when it was uh, you know I've, I've gone i've gone through the addiction um of um started to recover by writing a book and um and we're, and we're talking about setting up a project and doing more so that's where the book ends in um 
2014 stroke 15 and so it's a matter of people will be left wondering well what happened after mm -hmm. that in the next five years uh, and so this is what this book is about so it's about my journey from from that period onwards to to today so it involved you know various um uh, meetings people I've met you know going to the house of commons talking at the house of commons talking in Qatar you know doing various um media stuff and tv and radio and then uh, obviously the the more work that we've done um in terms of educating so many people various organizations we've delivered workshops to uh, various partnerships we've created yeah so the journey with red car gambling sport project up, up to today yeah including the, the the work with the gambling commission so yes yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite um an uplifting book in terms of the progression of um of myself and how you know how i've developed um fr from the addiction to what i'm doing uh, today wow fantastic now i know that one of the things that's brought you through as well is your spirituality mm -hmm. um can you talk to us about that and how did you how did you become a christian and you know how did that happen uh so i just want to get something if you don't I am speaking to Mr. Tony Kelly, yes. footballer, and now he's a CEO and an author. Yes. So this is a um, my baptism candle. Oh, okay. As wow. So when I have a moment, I, I give that a light if I want to talk talk to God. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a very gradual thing. My relationship with. Um, with Christianity in terms of I've always believed from from young but never really uh, followed it and never really um, I suppose put anything into practice or anything like that but I think 2010 when I um, was working for Network Rail and I had the visit from um, a, a local chaplain uh, into my signal box where I was working alone on a Sunday and um, that's when my first, I suppose that I, I put it down to that's when the, the calling came in terms of that visit from the chaplain. He brought a brand new Bible with him. We sat down and talked for two hours. I was just going through bankruptcy. I was just finishing off, uh, finishing, sorry, finishing uh, with my partner of 20 odd years. So my life was a bit of a mess. Just still, still, still had the addiction. Um, so it was a question of, um, we, we wrote, he wrote a prayer that day, which obviously I now know is called Salvation Prayer. <laughs> And it was a question of that. It wasn't when he left that room that day that everything was going to be rosy and everything changed, you know, instantly. It was a gradual thing, um, and it, and that culminated in me um, starting to write the book. And I think that's where I realised that, you know, God is in my life because I could, oh, I didn't know where I wouldn't know where to start to write a book, um, but somehow I had a A4 paper and a biro and started to write. And then all of a sudden I couldn't stop writing and 18 months later I had this manuscript uh, for the book. And so that told me that this is what God wants me to do, that I had the strength and courage to be able to write. Um, and then again, talking about the business side of things, not coming from business background, but being able to set up an organisation and run an organisation. Again, it's all, it's all part of the, of the building blocks that I believe God has put in place for me. Um, and obviously I've got to believe in what I'm doing. I've got to work hard. You know, you'll give me the tools, uh, but it's for me to then follow, follow what he wants me to do. And um, so I think, yeah, I've, it's, it's something that I've always um, thought was possible. Uh, but now I think that anything's possible uh, with, wow. as far as I'm concerned. 
So I, I don't know where I'll be in two years' time, but I think anything's possible. Um, and then another thing to do with Christianity was what our local sponsors are, our local church. So I started to um, worship there once a week, um, make good friends with Father Taman. They became one of our sponsors, Red Card. So for instance, if we have, I've got a meeting room, which I use for free at the church. Okay. Uh, yeah, we also have the hall. If we want to put an event, we have the hall for free. Um, so all these things and the connections are just just meant to be. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really helped me mentally, um, and it's helped me move move on forward with uh, with my whole life and, and, a, and a whole new perspective on life. So yeah, I think Christianity and my faith is um is a big part of me today. Yeah, that's really powerful, and I love that you say you have a relationship with your, you know, with God, with the Creator, and uh, yeah, mm. and it's okay. everyone's. I respect everyone's. Um, religions and belief and I, I, I personally think because my daughter's more spiritual like uh, me. <laughs> yes. she's more, yeah so she's more spiritual uh, and I think it's it's all about what makes you feel comfortable and yes. what make, what makes you happy um, yeah so, so I think it's an individual thing it's a personal thing and uh, mm. yeah uh, that's that's the way I see it so yeah respect everyone's different religions yeah. everyone's beliefs mm. But do, do you feel that having that now, though, has made a big difference to you? Having something, you know, something that's greater that you can mm. turn to in, you know, it makes all the difference. Yeah, because I think there's been previous times where, especially at the start of the Red Car Project, where um, you have to, one of the things you have to do is, as a CIC company or, or um, a charity or whatever, you have to obviously apply for funding. Mm. And... Uh, Funding is something I never experienced, but then obviously I've, having done the first couple of funding applications and, and, and learned a little bit, you have to tick all the boxes. And so with a couple of um, rejections, I think, you know, I might have, you know, been, um, you know, despondent and thought, oh, you know what, this ain't, this ain't going to happen really. But I think my belief and faith kicked in and thought, you know, so what, you're going to take knockbacks. You know, it's how, it's how you respond and, and how strong is your faith. So I think that's what's told me. Then I think the third time we got our first £10,000 and then I realised, yeah, you know, he'll give you in, in his time, not in your time, but you've got to be, yes. you've got to, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to keep the faith. Simple as that. You know, and that's why I believe that over the next year or two, all kinds of doors are going to open. Uh, so you might be talking to me in a year's time in mine and, and I'll be saying to you, I told you. So yeah, one or two doors are going to open up, and because um, we've still got more to do, we've still got you know red card, we've still got a lot more to do. There's still a lot more I want to do, and uh, we'll let, I'll talk to you in a minute about the the Bame situation. Um, yeah, when when we uh, get onto that. Yeah. yeah so um, talking about yeah, the events. What have you got coming up? What? Yeah. So we um, one thing we uh, discussed within the red card team and within the gambling commission is that. Um, we, I'm the, uh, in, out of the whole group, uh, I'm the only person of colour out of the old uh, Gambling Commission uh, EBE group. Um, I've been to lots of different conferences and consultations over the last three years with various organisations within the whole gambling industry. Um, and I think in terms of black males, I think I've only seen one. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, out of all these, out of all these places I've been to and all these organisations I've met, I think a couple of Asian ladies. Uh, so, not only within the industry in terms of positions, in terms of roles, uh, but also within society in terms of Black and Asian people gambling um, and and other ethnic minorities. 
we don't um, talk enough about that and we don't raise awareness enough about that because within my culture, so my culture being the Caribbean culture, mm. um, I know, you know, just, just, just through um, lots of different people that are 50 plus that I've spoken to uh, that, uh, you know, that are gambling today and some that have had sons, that, uh, got sons that are gambling. Uh, some that where their dads who are 70, 80 were gambling addicts and they lost the house, etc. I've heard stories about that. So I know gambling's um, been happening a lot. And I think back to the 80s, you know, in, in commentary or whatever, and in the bookers, you would find, you know, you'd always find, you know, um, 30, 40 year old black men in the bookers. Uh, so it's been, we've been gambling for a long time, but we just don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. We have, um, in my opinion, I think there's a certain amount of uh, pride about us in terms of you know coming out and, and talking about gambling addiction or sharing our stories etc because i think there's thousands of um people from our communities that have suffered from gambling addiction but they just haven't talked about it and don't want to talk about it so i think that's something we want to change in terms of having various role models from the bank community and, and i'm a voice for us at the moment and so what we decided i want to is put an event aimed at the bank community and this can be from and this is this comes from a cultural um, perspective as well because within different cultures, particularly the Muslim culture, you know, gambling's forbidden. Yet you have <laughs> thousands of people that, that, that are of, of Muslim faith or, you know, that are gambling, they're gambling online, you know, but it's, but it's against their culture and that's because they're exposed to it. So yeah, there's a big issue with the, with the Bane community gambling. So we, we, we want to get, I want to get their thoughts and ideas about it. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll get a good attendance at the, at the event. I don't know. Um, and that's something we put on with Eventbrite uh, for the 30th of September online through Zoom. Um, and yeah, and hopefully, um, obviously, I'll send you the link. And but that's yeah, that's going to be the next event for Red Card. And um, hopefully, yeah, we can we can address the situation in terms of uh, gambling within the Bane community. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow! So so much going on mm. so much going on um and so much good that you're doing out there i mean yeah. how does it feel to you i mean you were people were feeling good seeing you score goals and all that but what you were doing with football how mm. do you feel now that you're actually changing lives um helping people share by sharing your story it's actually mm. helping people yeah um, you put together a company you know, you're now a businessman as well. It's so, <laughs> yeah. true, isn't it? So how does that yeah. all feel to you? Um, I, was, I was talking to my ex yes, yesterday and uh, she was saying how proud of me she is. Oh, yeah, because you know, we've known each other 25, 30 years and we've got our daughters together, oh. so we talk a lot. And um, <clears throat> she was saying, I never, I never envisaged this. I never thought in a million years that this could be you. You know, and, and I said, well, you know, you know, God is powerful. He can do all sorts of things. So it's just, a, it's just a matter of um, where, where you want to take your journey. Um, but I still pinch myself in terms of, you know, being an author and being a CEO and doing another book and all these things. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that, like you said, if it makes a difference, if I'm changing lives, if I'm, um, you know, stopping one person from committing suicide, uh, then it's all, it's all worthwhile. So I think it's, um, a legacy that I want to leave, you know, when I leave this earth, that I've, I've done good and I've done something to, to help and make a difference within within society. So, yeah, it's hard. It's, you know, it can be hard work because obviously when you're running an organisation, there's a million and one things to do. Um, so I get used to that. Um, but it's something that I suppose 
if you're passionate about something, then you then you put your heart and soul into it. And that's what, and that's what I do, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. How can the public help? How can the public support what you're doing? How, they, how can they get in contact with you? I think the best way is uh, we have a contact form on the, on the website, uh, which is www.kellysredcardconsultancy.co.uk. Uh, uh, all information's on there, um, interviews, etc. Um, and they can also uh, email me uh, at redcard.tony at uh, gmail.com um, and also yeah um, through through social media so red card are on Facebook and we're on LinkedIn uh, and also Instagram so there's lots of different ways I can contact red card and contact myself uh, my contact details are also on the <clears throat> also on the website and uh, and I'd like you know I'd like anybody to contact me it could be uh, someone who's got an issue with their son or daughter uh, it could be someone that you know wants to know where to access help and support services, so we can signpost. Someone that might is, is ready to give up and maybe wants uh, therapy. We have a team of therapists within Redcar that can that can provide a one-to-one -one therapy as well. Uh, so yeah, for whatever the reason is, then uh, you know we're there. We're there to help. We're there to talk. So just contact us uh, anytime, whether that's by email, whether it's uh, through a phone call. Uh, we're open to anything. So yeah, that's wonderful. And is there anything else you want to share with us? What, what does the future hold for Mr. Tony Kelly? I know you're doing so much of your business, but where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? In the next five years, I would say, well, in the next, actually, the next 12 months, I want to be in a, we want to, well, I want to be sitting in my own office, which will be hopefully in the next 12 months, because we should get, hopefully we'll get the funding so I can have my office wherever I want it, whether it's in Coventry or whether it's in London, I'm sure yet. Because uh, obviously I'm, I'm sitting talking to you with my PC in my bedroom and with files all over the place. Yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't even. Yeah, I wasn't even aware. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I want to. I want to be um, uh, in my own office. I can. I can just go to work on a daily basis to my office. So that will happen in the next twelve months. Uh, in terms of Red Car, we want to get to the forefront of education awareness. Uh, we want to continue to work with different partners. So we have a project. Uh, that we're working with on at the moment that should be um, it's a project that's going to be funded by the gambling commission and the operators uh, it's a partnership and that is uh, basically aimed at educating uh, the bank community on, on specifically for the bank community educating the bank community so that will put us um, in, a, in a very good position uh, if that goes through because it's a two-year project and uh, yeah that will, that will give uh, Redcar some, some good finance um and then yeah looking forward to when the book comes out uh, and doing some work with that and maybe yeah doing some talks and some um presentations with with, with the launching of the book um but yeah the main thing is that we red car we, we remain sustainable and we remain that at the forefront of education awareness and grow as an organization over the next five years um so that's that's my um yeah dream with red card mm. that's amazing Mr. Tony Kelly, it's been an honour and a pleasure and um, so humble to be speaking to you. And um, every time I speak, when I do speak to you, I just feel, you know, that you're just an amazing human being um, who's doing great things out there. So keep right. up the great work and thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy and um, I don't want to keep you any longer because I'm sure and you've done meetings already before this one. So thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Marnie. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you.